Hey, 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 thank you so much for listening to our Big Time Talker podcast. We're on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Blog Talk Radio, iHeartMedia, anywhere you download and subscribe to podcasts. Thank you so much for being here. I'm Burke Allen, broadcasting from our studios here in Washington, D.C. And it's uh, as we do the podcast recording just a week before the midterm elections, and we're going to talk elections with author and uh, political commentator Mark Burrell. His brand new book is Rediscovering the American Covenant, Roadmap to Restore America. And uh, Mark, thank you so much for being on the show. Bert, thank you so much for having me. So in this book, if, if somebody says, hey, Mark, what are you talking about here? Um, what, what's the elevator pitch? How do you describe Rediscovering the American Covenant? Yeah, well, that's a great question. So really, the book is about what I believe is our most important founding document. A lot of folks would immediately think that that's the Constitution. Sure. And the Constitution's absolutely important, but it's actually not our founding document. The founding document is the Declaration of Independence. And so it's that where you find what really defines us uh, as Americans. I've, I've heard a number of people talk about the soul of America recently. And uh, really, it's the declaration that captures who we are as Americans. And so the book is all about rediscovering that. What does it mean? Where do the principles found in it come from? And what is our resulting citizenship responsibility? One of the things I thought was interesting as I looked through the book is it really highlights um, the Christian perspective and, and biblical principles and, and sort of their role in the founding of the country. And, you know, here we are 250 some odd years beyond the founding of the country. And I think that there would be a number of our listeners and, and people in general who might say, hey, look, that's, that's great for back then. And maybe it's a, a great, you know, founding document and framework, but the world has changed so much. And I wonder how you would, you would respond to that. Yeah, so the quick response is that while the world has changed and certainly technology and media, human nature has not, that would be the, the response. The ideas that are captured in the declaration, in fact, are timeless. In fact, it even starts with the sentence, in the course of human events, it, it's making the claim that it's a timeless document. And uh, if you're a Christian, you understand that human nature hasn't changed. If you're not a Christian, you, you probably, if you look around, uh, and if you've had a chance to visit different cultures and different countries, and you've been able to get to know some folks from these different areas, you realize that we're all very similar. We just have some different backgrounds that make us different. But the human nature and, and the impact that that has on our ability to live together in peace, that part we would uh, assert has not changed. Mark Burrell is our guest today. He's the author of Rediscovering the American Covenant Roadmap to Restore America. It's available from Ballast Books. You can find it in bookstores everywhere and uh, online at Amazon.com. And the website for the book again, Mark, is? Yeah, it's at uh, DefendAmericanLiberty.com. Hopefully memorable. So it's the three words all together. DefendAmericanLiberty.com. You talked about, uh, you know, the, the Christian faith again. Um, for folks who may not be Christian, they may not be religious at all. Would this book be off-putting to them? Or, or more so, would this philosophy be off-putting? Is there a place in your mind for people who, who have different faiths or no faith at all? 
That's another great question, Burke. And here's what's truly amazing about the American founding. The quick answer is no, it should not be off-putting because what the founders recognized in the principles that are in the Bible that talk about how you should found a community or a nation is that in reality, everyone is going on their own personal faith journey and they need to be able to do that. This is what liberty is. We talk about religious liberty and civil liberty, which is essentially the first and second amendment. And so what the declaration describes as the vision for America is that everyone should be able to go on their own faith journey, either accepting Christianity or not. So what this means, it's really remarkable. It means that you do not have to be a Christian to be a great American. Really what we're asking or what the founders were putting before us is this notion that you need to agree though, that there are certain rights that are unalienable and that they need to be protected. Things like life, liberty, and the, the pursuit of happiness. Those are the things that really unite us. And, uh, and you don't have to be a Christian to believe that. It really kind of comes down to, uh, it sounds like in your mind, uh, sort of morals and ethics as a, a, a guiding principle. I remember years ago, Mark, I moved to Salt Lake City, Utah uh, for a couple of years. And, and you know, of course, that's the worldwide headquarters for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons. I'm not a Mormon. I didn't know anything about that faith. Um, but I found it was the cleanest major city I'd ever lived in. And um, it was a great place to live. Um, so is that really a big part of this? It's not as much about, uh, you know, slapping somebody up the side of the head with the Bible as it is, uh, you know, having a good moral and ethical framework. Uh, that's exactly it. And the idea that the founders expressed in the first paragraph of the declaration was this idea that there's this law of nature and of nature's God. The first part of that phrase refers to, Hey, there's this law out there that we all sort of generally recognize, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't kill your neighbor. You shouldn't take their stuff. I mean, this is pretty obvious. And then of nature's God, which is a direct reference to the moral law as summarized by the Ten Commandments in the Bible itself. And I, I include quotes to, to show all that in the book, by the way. But the whole notion is that, hey, this is the framework that we want to live under as a community, as a nation. And so the, the Latter-day Saints is a great example. In fact, I'll even be more provocative. I have a, a coworker who's a good friend, he's a Muslim. And he's very concerned about the loss of liberty that we're seeing in America. He's, you know, he's a practicing Muslim. He, uh, he actually, the Muslims do agree with the moral law in the Bible. In fact, this is one of the reasons why many Muslims look down on America because we've, we've really seen a, a heavy moral decline. But the point is that a Muslim can live in America and they can practice their own faith all that we ask is that they respect the fundamental God-given unalienable rights among those being life, liberty, which is the ability to have opinions and manage and protect your own property and to allow everyone to go on their own personal faith journey. You talked about uh, the loss of liberty and, and people being afraid of that. What does that look like to you? Give me a couple of examples of, of, of the loss of liberty that you see out there today. Yeah, so the first big obvious one is the censoring that's taking place uh, on social media or the canceling. I think a lot of people have seen how folks that have opinions that aren't necessarily acceptable by others are often squelched. This is when you really see if people believe in liberty or not. 
because liberty is really only demonstrated when you allow people that uh, have opinions that are very different from your own, when you allow them to talk, even though you find those opinions to be incorrect or maybe even you know, offensive. But, uh, but that's a big example. Another recent example is the whole vaccination question, because this really attacked both religious and civil liberties. Religious liberty being the idea that we would impose a shot that uh, that involved in the development and, and validation of the of the shot, the use of aborted fetal cells. And that's a big moral problem for Christians. On the civil liberty side, the infringement was that you should have a say in what's injected in your body. And in fact, this is not a recent uh, assertion. This is a, came out of the Nuremberg trials after World War II when it was discovered that Nazi doctors were experimenting on, uh, on people that were mentally disabled and they were doing all kinds of horrible things. Coming out of that came the Nuremberg Medical Code. You can look it up. And it basically, this is where we get the idea of informed consent. And uh, if you believe a shot or a treatment's going to harm your body, even though others may think it won't, you had the ability, you had the civil liberty to, uh, to say no, no thank you. And then try and figure out an accommodation in the case of the COVID situation. But those are some real recent tangible examples. Isn't it a fine line, though, there to play devil's advocate for a minute uh, uh, where there's, you know, the, the greater good? For example, when when I was a kid, um, we would ride around uh, in our parents' car standing up in the convertible with no seatbelt on. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> and, and now you got to buckle up or, um, you know, it, it's just one example. Or if, if you see someone who's who's burning the flag is should that be allowed um so uh, i'm not sure how you weigh in on those those kinds of slippery slopes yeah so it, it's it's a gray area for sure you know obviously it's uh, managing the risk you know i work in a uh, at a fortune uh, 50 company and safety is a big deal and uh the way we talk about it is managing the risk the everything's dangerous but how can you manage the risk and and I would look at all of those examples you mentioned uh, as, you know, what kind of risk do you want to manage here? Because everything's dang dangerous. You know, you could walk across the street and get hit by a car. Anything could happen. Yep. But uh, as an engineer, you know, I, I'm particularly obsessed with this question of risk uh, just by nature. And, and it really comes down to the decisions that you make. How do they affect others? And if there's a belief like the COVID situation, if there's a belief that you not taking the vaccine is going to create a problem for others, then you talk about accommodation. You know, as time's gone by on this specific issue, the COVID question, we've learned a lot that the COVID shot did not prevent transmission. And uh, so those of us, and I was one of them, who is uh, hesitant to getting the shot, we've actually shown, we've been vindicated. And uh, the point is we, sh we just, we can't force anybody to take some of these uh, treatments if they are concerned that it will harm them. And if they are concerned and others, you know, the greater good argument comes into place, then we talk about accommodation. Mark Burrell is our guest today. His brand new book is called Rediscovering the American Covenant, a roadmap to restore America. Ballast Books is the publisher and uh, it's available online in bookstores everywhere. Uh, brand new and uh, just released in good timing as we talk about some of these topics that are uh, bubbling over into uh, discussions around the, the midterm elections. One of the things you, you really get into in the book a little bit is um, how active citizenship 
is a really important part um, of the Christian faith, but also I think is our, our duty as, as Americans. And it's almost cliche, I think at some point, Mark, when people say, you know, you got to get out and vote and it, it is your duty as an American to do this. You need to take it seriously. And, and I can almost, uh, you know, visualize the eye rolls from some people who have heard that so many times, but in your heart of hearts, that's a, a pretty big doggone deal for you. Yeah, it is. And, and if I take a non-Christian starting point here, America is about self-government. Self-government implies that we're all involved. And governing starts in the home. Uh, and by the way, a lot of the principles, uh, nearly all of the principles that I cover in the book, they apply to the home. And in fact, they must apply to the home because communities and nations are made up of what? Families. Sure. And what I show in the book is that a lot of the principles for how you govern yourself at home directly ladder up to how you're governing yourself in the communities and nations in which you live. And so it is important if we wish to maintain that liberty that we talked about a few minutes ago, then you have to be involved in order to help uh, maintain the, the principles and the framework and the institutions that, that provide that freedom. What would you say to someone who's listening right now who would be in that group of Americans who really in their heart of hearts believe that the, the 2020 election um, was bogus, was rigged, and uh, there was funny business going on, uh, despite there being lots of evidence that it didn't. And they say, you know what, that one was stolen. It was rigged. It was taken away from us. I'm out. You know, my vote really doesn't matter because, you know, the system is stacked against us. What would your argument be to try to get them re-engaged? Well, my first inclination is uh, I love the Churchill quote that he said, never, ever, ever give up. That's the first thing that comes back to my mind. Then the second thing that comes to my mind is uh, I'm a big history person. I love, uh, I love, I love to study, I should say, uh, world wars, especially World War II. And I always think about D-Day and, uh, and what those soldiers went through. And if you've seen the first few minutes of Pri Saving Private Ryan, you know exactly what, uh, what that was like, as le at least as close to what we believe it was like as I think we've seen on screen. Sure. Those folks did not have a choice. They did not have a choice in their uh, responsibility to try and reestablish freedom. In that case for Europe, Europe had, had been taken over by the Germans at that point and talk about a loss of liberty. They, they were really in trouble. And so I look at those things and I think to myself, how can I, how can I give up? How can I disrespect the honor, the memory uh, and the honor of all those that have fought many who died in order to give us the freedom that we have to engage in, in a flawed system uh, I have my issues with the 2020 election as well, but um, it's a, it is it's always going to be a flawed system. Uh, but it's our it's our duty to do the best we can to improve things. And if you're a Christian, you really don't have an option. And I show that in the book, where God um, actually gives the institution of civil government. It's right after the flood, and uh, and the reason that we we have to believe that things could be better than before the flood. Because remember, it was terrible before the flood. It was, the world was full of violence. And so what would give us a reason to believe that things could be different? Well, after the flood, God tells Noah and his family that he demands an account for the shedding of, his, of innocent blood. 
So he demands it, which is fascinating because he doesn't demand anything in the Bible, not even that we follow him. Yet he demands that we all provide justice for, for everyone in our, you know, in our local uh, area of responsibility. So uh, if you're a Christian, then I, I really I have even more of an argument because uh, the Bible's actually very clear on this, that, that we are responsible to engage. Steps for Christian to, uh, Christians to re-engage politically and, uh, and get really involved in the local community. Big part of this book. Uh, the author is Mark Burrell. Originally a Pennsylvanian, now in exile in the great Buckeye state of Ohio. Let's talk about that Pennsylvania election. You have um, very, very different people running uh, back in your home state. And I wonder when you look at that, um, if, if you think that either of those candidates are representative of the majority of Pennsylvanians? Well, I, you know, there's obviously some questions. Uh, we're talking about the Fetterman and, and Oz, and Oz uh, right. uh, conflict uh, or the, uh, the campaign that those two are, are waging. So obviously I'm a conservative and I lean towards the Republican side in, in this matter. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that Pennsylvanians, and I know a lot of Pennsylvania, you know, your comment is so true, I was laughing because I'm a Penn Stater and I'm living in the heart of Ohio State Buckeye country. And, oh man. Uh, I remember the game when Woody, Woody Hayes took a shot at a Penn State player back in the 70s. So, yeah, man. At any rate, uh, so I, I really. You got to keep your head down during football season there. You do. You do. You just have to just pretend like it's not important. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, yeah. So, what I would say about that contest and many of the other contests too, Bert, is when you hear the candidates talk, of course, because I wrote the book, I'm very attuned to, are they talking about our fundamental rights or are they just arguing policy differences? Because uh, the point I make in the book is there's obviously growing division in our country. I think everyone sees that. And the, the question a lot of people are asking is how do we get over all of this division and this is exactly the point of the book, because the way you get over it is getting back to, well, what defines us as Americans? What is the contract or the covenant that I inherited as an American that should bind us together? And you know what? This is very similar to a marriage that's in trouble. If you see a marriage, you know, couples that are not getting along, usually they're fighting over uh, stuff that really doesn't seem like that important. And, and in the end, the only way those marriages are saved is if they get back to the marriage covenant that they made, which was to, you know, to, to love each other unconditionally in good times and bad. And what are they doing? They're revisiting the covenant, their marriage covenant in that case. And so I make the case that, that this is what we've got to do as Americans. We've got to get back to what is it that really unites us. And, and the moral law, as you mentioned earlier, really is the framework. And so if you get rid of that framework, you have lots of problems. And that's, that's really the, uh, the fork in the road that, that has led to a lot of the problems we've seen in the last 50 or so years, which I describe in the book. The book is Rediscovering the American Covenant, Roadmap to Restore America. Mark Burrell is the author. If you're a fan of American history, um, as well as, as you know politics and current events, and uh, I think you're really gonna see some benefit in picking this book up. It's published by our friends at Ballast Books. 
and available online and bookstores everywhere. The website is defendamericanliberty.com. Um, so, Mark, as, as you sat down to write this book, it's, it's your first book. What was your goal when you you uh, poured your, your thoughts and your philosophy into this whole thing? What, what did you want readers to take away from it? Yeah, so I've been working on this for for ten years, actually writing for ten years, and my ten original years, books, yeah, and and it's because I didn't know what I was doing, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> uh, I'm an engineer, and you know we we're known for figuring things out, but sometimes it takes a little long, and uh, and and honestly, that was the case. I mean, I I talked to other other authors, and I think the breakthrough for me was an author said to me, "You need to get clear on what your book is about, and when you're clear on that, then you can." you know, tell the story. That's what, uh, finally, the advice that cracked through, and I realized that the common theme through all this was the covenant, the declaration. And I, I use the word covenant because that's the word the Bible uses. And, and really what we learn in the Bible, this is the fascinating part. What we learn in the Bible is that God has certain things he wants nations to do. He wants them to govern justly, to be fruitful, to increase in number, and to spread out those four things. And then if you ask, well, how do you govern justly? We learn that through the nation of Israel. And in the book, I describe seven principles that, uh, that Israel showed us that we need to follow. And in fact, the founders followed it. But then the part that is particularly fascinating is the process that they followed to actually start the country, because this is the process that the Jews followed under the leadership of Moses. The first thing is you have to acknowledge God and his moral law. Secondly, you have to appeal to God for help. Third, you have to commit. And fourth, you have to declare. So it's that simple. It's acknowledge, appeal, commit, declare. And what I show in the book is I connect all the dots between the verses in the Bible that share this and exactly what the founders did, not only in the drafting of the declaration, which is a reflection of those biblical the process that they followed. And I make the argument that that's what we need to get back to. We need to recommit, rediscover the American covenant, and that that'll be the roadmap back to, uh, to restoring America. One of the things that your publisher said in describing the book is it's the exact blueprint needed today to restore America's founding principles. What principle is um, in the most trouble right now, would you say of America's founding principles, one that you go, oh man, we have drifted far, far out to sea on this? Yeah, that's an easy answer. And the answer is having the moral law as the standard for lawmaking. So the moral law is referenced first in that first paragraph I mentioned earlier, the law of nature and of nature's God. And for the th first 350 years of uh, America's existence, you would find the Ten Commandments in every schoolroom and almost every courtroom and uh, very visible to the public eye. And, and it wasn't necessarily to impose Christianity on the citizenry. It was to remind people of the moral standard that framed our, uh, our nation. And I think the single biggest thing that I've learned in my own personal journey, Burke, and as, as someone just researching this, is how incredibly important that moral standard is. As a Christian, I can tell you that it's recognizing I can't keep that standard. That's what makes me realize I'm a sinner in need of a savior. So it, it, the first thing the moral law does is it 
shows you that you need a savior. The second thing the moral law does is once you realize that that's God's standard, it, it, it gives you a, a pattern, a template for how to live your life. You know, don't, don't kill anyone, obviously. Don't, uh, don't lie. Don't steal. You know, all these things are, they seem obvious, but if they're not out in front of you all the time, it's easy to forget them. And then lastly, the moral law is critical because it, it provides the framework for legitimate laws in your nation. In other words, if a body passes a law, it can't be in conflict with the moral law. And in some cases, that's really obvious. In some cases, it's not. You know, it can be gray. The, uh, the whole abortion question is, is driven by that simple principle. Christians look at the, the commandment, do not murder, which is the taking of an innocent life. And we say, this is a real problem for us because of the moral law. So that's why, uh, you know, we, we're, this particular issue is so contentious uh, because of the moral law. So that's the single biggest thing. The moral law has systematically been removed from so many of our public places, Burke, and, and there are generations now, several generations that have not grown up with it. So they, they don't have a strong moral compass like you and I did growing up where we, you know, we tended to see it a lot in our daily lives. You mentioned uh, abortion, certainly one of the, the hot button issues um, that, that's going to be uh, forefront in a lot of people's minds during the midterm elections and beyond. Um, but I do want to ask you something when you talk about the the moral laws, the moral compass, if you will, of, of this country. You know, there's a Mark, Mark Burrell, by the way, is our guest today. The book is Rediscovering the American Covenant. Mark, there's a, you know, a lot of people who you see on TV, the talking heads, uh, or that you might read in the paper, uh, the political pundits, if you will, who um, have had a really outsized influence on our political leaders. And that's filtered down, I think, to a, a lot of everyday Americans where y you have a tough time having a civil conversation when you disagree about issues uh, like right to life, for example. Um, it doesn't seem like that long ago to me, and maybe this is me being an old fashioned guy where you know, you could disagree with your neighbor politically, but that doesn't mean that, you know, they're evil incarnate and they're coming out to, to destroy your way of life. It's all gotten so amped up in the last handful of years or so it seems to me. And, and I wonder if you see, and you, you put it right out there, you're a conservative guy. If, if you see that as well, and if you do, if you see a way to to sort of bring that civil discourse back, or or has that ship sailed and that's never coming back? Well, we're we're back to you know what caused that fork in the road. I've seen the same thing that that you've seen. I'm an eternal optimist that we can come back together. I do think that the path back is to take a look at our covenant which includes, you know, as I mentioned several times, the, the moral law is the foundation and, uh, and recommit as a group to recognize that, that that is the standard that our founders agreed to and, and the formula that works. And to me, it's, uh, it's a lot of education and knowledge and trying to piece these things together, which is exactly why I wrote the book. You know, you asked me a few minutes ago, why'd you write the book? Sure. And part of it is, I'm trying to get the information out to help people at least understand 
the argument. At the end of the day, I don't want to impose this I, because I want to try and reason people through. Here is what happened. Here's why uh, we believe it worked. We that want to conserve it, which is typically what a conservative is. We want to conserve those precious founding values. And I, I think the real uh, crux to this is why keep the moral law? And my response to that would be, well, listen, I, I look to this list because I'm not, I'm not smart enough to come up with a better list. So if you're telling me that you don't want to use that list anymore, then show me your list. And let's, let's talk through that list and see what, where we can agree. And of course, the challenge is that if you don't recognize something as an objective standard of truth, then anything's possible. That, it really does come down to that. It's how do you deal with truth? And do, if you don't believe that the moral law is, is still applicable, and I know there are a lot of people that don't, they think it's old fashioned. Well, then I would say, well, show me your list. What is the, the set of principles that we're going to follow? Because they seem to keep changing. <laughs> if they're always changing, then, uh, then that's going to be a problem at some point. And that the history clearly shows us that. The 20th century and, and uh, the nations that uh, were at war and, and killed so many people, this, this was the common theme. They, they rejected Christianity in some way, shape, or form, whether it be the Russians or the Germans or the communist revolution. And then anything goes. And that generally doesn't go well. Wouldn't you agree, though, Mark, that that most Americans um, are, you know, good people? They're good people everywhere. And most of them are just trying to feed their families and go to work every day and and live their lives and and maybe not get into these hyper partisan uh, arguments where, you know, just because the guy across the street is a Democrat, that doesn't mean that, that he's trying to destroy, uh, your way of thinking or vice versa that, you know, the, the person across the street is, is an arch, you know, right winger and, and they want to, you know, uh, burn crosses on your yard. So is this, hasn't it gotten so amped up that, that maybe we are at the point of, of no return, or you said you're the eternal optimist, you know, what can we do to, to kind of uh, turn the temperature down on all this? I do agree with you that a lot of Americans just want the, the contention to uh, be dialed down. I, I come back to the education side, trying to step back and understand really, really what these principles are. And when you peel back a lot of these positions, yeah, I've found in conversations, when I have conversations with people, that uh, there, there really is so much more common ground. So that would be the first part of my answer. The second part of my answer would be, when America was founded, we were not united. You know, people may forget that about half the folks living at that time wanted to separate somewhere between 30 and 50%. It's hard to get a, a real uh, clear answer, but somewhere between 30 and 50% wanted to separate. The rest were loyalists. They didn't want to part with England. And so what happened with the declaration is that the founders made an appeal to God for the rectitude of their intentions. And looking back, it seems pretty clear that God honored that because there was really no reason why they should have been able to, to win as a nation of a million facing the, the uh, British empire of over 10 million. It really is a miraculous thing that, that uh, the colonials won. And so I make that point just to show that if, if you're Christian 
and you recognize that things are really pretty desperate, which is what you know you're implying with things have gotten so bad. I I look at it and say, with God, all things are possible. And so this is, in fact, the last chapter of the book. I explain you know, what happened in Old Testament Israel when a leader came along. There were mostly bad leaders in the Old Testament, but there are a handful of good ones. And uh, King Josiah, for instance, about 800 years after the Mosaic Covenant was, was established, around 1500 BC, so 800 years later, King Josiah recommitted to the covenant with, uh, with the nation of Israel at that point, and God blessed the reign. And, and that's a, essentially what I explain is the last chapter. At least that's the blueprint that we're given in the Bible to restore a nation that was originally founded to honor God, but is turned away. And so that, I say I'm, a, I'm an optimist and recognize, Berg, I'm an engineer, which means by definition, I'm a pessimist. <laughs> <laughs> Engineers right. basically believe everything's going to go wrong. I mean, that's what, to be a good engineer, you have to uh, assume everything's going to go wrong and design it so it can't. So. So it's a big statement for me to say I'm, a, I'm an optimist, uh, but that's that's what I believe the, the blueprint is. That's what the Bible shows us. And that's the last chapter of the book. How do we restore America? Mark Burrell's book, Rediscovering the American Covenant, Roadmap to Restore America, available at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, wherever books are sold. You can go into your bookstore in your neighborhood and ask for it as well. Uh, and you'll you'll see the red, white, and blue artwork and the Liberty Bell uh, right there on the cover. Mark Burrell's Rediscovering the American Covenant. All right, election. Just over a week away, uh, Roe v. Wade, in the fall of Roe v. Wade uh, in the summer, was a massive victory for conservatives. Um, gosh, that has gone on for 50 years nearly. Um, yeah. Conservatives have been trying to roll back abortion rights. This was a big deal. It was a controversial decision by the Supreme Court. I think I know how you weigh in on this thing. Um, I wonder if you can tell me why you weigh in the way you weigh in on right to life. Yeah, so the way I would describe it is uh, you mentioned uh, the right you know, to an abortion. I would say it was a victory towards uh, restricted. How do we, how do we um, make sure that we're making the best decision versus an unrestricted situation? Uh, that that I think is the bigger the bigger win here. The and the fact that it was overturned. Incidentally, as a Christian, I look at that and say, "Wow, God appears to be moving." Uh, this is huge. Uh, no one expected this, and and that is another reason why I'm optimistic. For it, by the way. To answer your question directly, though, it comes from a couple of verses in the Bible. So there's uh, Genesis 9, where God says, I demand an accounting for the shedding of an innocent blood. That's where we first learn that we have a right to our life. And then later on in Exodus 20, when we're given the Ten Commandments, one of the commandments is thou shalt not murder. It's, it's not thou shalt not kill. It's thou shalt not murder, which is the taking of an innocent life. Uh, we're not told we can't kill people if they're coming to attack us or they're, we're at war. It's permissible, but it's the taking of an innocent life that is, uh, is forbidden with, uh, with that commandment. So this is why uh, Christians look at that and say, hey, we need to uh, really try and restrict how much abortion is legal in our country. And we, we look at, at every life 
as a precious life made in the image of God. And, uh, you know, we just don't think that those lives should be snuffed out. So that would be my, how I would characterize that. And, and I do think that uh, we're at a point now where every state hopefully can pass some laws where the, uh, the consensus view will, you know, make an argument, both sides will make an argument, there'll be a vote. And I think we're gonna find, you know, uh, things like partial birth abortion, I think that's going to go away, thankfully. And uh, late term abortion where the babies are very viable. But these are the things that are just particularly difficult. For but I, I trust the people here. I, I really think, give them the information and let the process work out. I don't think it's gonna to be totally illegal. I don't think we're gonna to get to that point. Uh, but I think it's going to, every state's gonna choose. And, and I think that's, that's a more reasonable position than unrestricted abortion. I was reading some of the, uh, the materials that your publisher sent over prior to our conversation today. And they refer to something called the Christian Patriot worldview on, on abortions. And they even say in there that uh, something about uh, the right to life principle in the Declaration of Independence. And, you know, I, it's been a long time since I read the declaration since I was in school, but I don't remember uh, a clause in there about a, abortion. So, so to lay it all out completely, what is this, this Christian patriot worldview that the publisher talks about with you? And, and when they say the right to life principle in the, uh, in the founding document, what are they talking about? Yeah, so they're talking about the second paragraph. Well, it, where it says we hold these truths to be self-evident that, uh, that I'm not going to quote it correctly here, but that uh, we get our right, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, among them life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And to ensure that these rights are protected, governments are insti instituted, deriving their powers from the consent of the governed. That's a very... Uh, choppy summary of the first sentence in the second paragraph, but that is exactly where the concept of uh, right to life is seen in our founding document. In addition to the first paragraph where it references the law of nature and of nature's God, that's a direct reference to the moral law, which includes thou shall not murder. So, so that's why we say that right to life is embedded right in our founding document, especially the second paragraph where it says, you know, we're endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, among them life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It couldn't be more clear. Our guest is Mark Burrell. His brand new book, Rediscovering the American Covenant, is available from Ballast Books. You can check out Mark online at defendamericanliberty.com. Um, before we went on the air today, you told me a great story about something that happened to you over the weekend um, when you were uh, doing some election, pre-election work. I wonder if you would share that with our listeners, because I think, I think that really encapsulates what we need to accomplish. Yeah. Yeah, so I was handing out Republican slate cards at our Board of Elections in Warren County, Ohio. And the way this works is you have to stay 100 feet away from the entrance to where people vote. And, you know, they don't want people accosting uh, folks coming in to vote. So this is how they prevent that. You don't and wrestle then, people to the ground and give them a slate. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Commit, sign here, you know. So what they do is they they 
put little boxes on the ground to basically say, here's where you can stand. And of course they put the Democrats right next to the Republicans. And so my shift started at 1.30, as did the elderly couple next to me, whose name was um, Ed and Mary. <laughs> I'll say what their names are. They were a lovely couple, but it, at the beginning, you know, we're both tracking people walking towards and we're both saying, hey, would you like a slate card? And, and, uh, and they were, you know, we were sort of not communicating too much. And, and uh, I just didn't want to stand there for three and a half hours with no one to talk to. That's what it came down to. <laughs> <laughs> the guy who was in his early 80s had on a hat that was clearly military. And so at one point when he was walking towards me, because he was like walking in circles, he was walking towards me about eight feet away. I said, hey, did, where did you serve? You know, looking for a way to start a conversation. And, uh, oh, he jumped right in. Turns out he served in the Royal Navy. He was born in Scotland and uh, came to the United States in the early 70s. Uh, met his then wife on a blind date. I, it was just, we got into, we talked nonstop for three and a half hours. And of course, you know, I was showing an interest in him and his life and he was asking me about my life. And so three hours goes by, we're almost done. And uh, I, I, at the end, I go over and said, hey, are you guys readers? And uh, of course I'm thinking they might be interested in my book. And Mary said, yeah, I'm a reader. And I said, well, you, I just published a book and you might be, a, so I handed her a bookmark, you know, that's got the QR code on the back and everything. And at that point, you know, after three hours of conversation, I said, this is pretty much what I said, you know, I make the case in the book that the division in our country uh, is not because of policy differences, it's because we've lost sight of our founding principles captured in the declaration. And, and that's the argument I made. As, an, as I'm saying this, they're shaking their heads affirmatively and saying, yes, that's right. <laughs> and uh, when we parted ways, you know, they said, we will buy your book. We're gonna buy your book, we'll read it. And I said, well, my contact information's on the bookmark. Call me when you're, when you're done. I'd love to talk with you some more. So we've got to reach across, find a way to start talking. And to your point earlier, there's so much that unites us. We had a great conversation. I'd love to have dinner with them. I mean, they were a lovely couple. And that's what we have to do. I love that. And I think that's a great place to wrap it up. You know, can't we, uh, can't we just all find a way to find some common ground Maybe one of those ways is to uh, to think about the morals and ethics that our founding fathers uh, tried to lay out in what are indeed timeless documents. You can learn more about them and uh, our author Mark Burrell's thoughts on rediscovering the American covenant. That's the name of the book. Roadmap to Restore America. DefendAmericanLiberty.com is the website. And uh, Mark Burrell is our guest. The book available from Ballast Books. Thanks for being here today. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Bert. For our show sponsor, SpeakerMatch.com, the world's largest online virtual speakers bureau. I'm Burke Allen at our studios in Washington, D.C. Thanks again to our guest, Mark Burrell. Thank you for listening. And wherever you go, whatever you do today, make it a great day. Thanks for being here. Bye, everybody. <laughs>